possibly the wildest night of my existence. I'm happy to see you're practicing safe sex. First Look Pictures proudly presents... Sometimes you can be kind of goofy. Parker Posey. She's good. You've outdone yourself. So silly. The party is just beginning. Party Girl. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the latest episode of Real Early. I'm your host, Larry Sternshine. On this episode, I'm joined by a friend, Preston Mitchell. Preston is a frequent guest on many of the podcasts I love listening to, like Film Feasts and Schlock and Awe, so it was a pleasure having him on my show. This was a really great conversation that I think you'll enjoy. We talk about the important figures in his life that encouraged him with his love of movies, like his mom and one of his teachers. There's also time spent talking about buying movies whenever he could, the importance of the internet to a movie fan, and so much more. So, without further wait, here's my great conversation with Preston Mitchell. Hey, Preston, how you doing today? I'm doing really well, Larry. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah, it's a pleasure having you on, too. I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, it is Sunday morning as we're recording, and usually I'm up a lot earlier than this. Uh, but I woke up way later, so I've still got a little bit of cobwebs in, in my brain, which is uh, not so ironic, considering that you've also done many episodes of the Cobweb Pop- Podcast with uh, Daniel Epler. See, so I, you know, I'm, I'm making it so you feel comfortable, because you're used to that cobweb show. <laughs> Most definitely, yeah. No, um, I... The Cobwebs podcast was my the second pod that I ever did. So um, it's uh, and um, I think I said this on another recording I did uh, uh, a few a few nights ago. But um, yeah, R.I.P. to that podcast. But Daniel's doing some really wonderful things with his YouTube channel. You know, talking about vintage cinema, Gothic horror, uh, those kinds of things. So um, yeah, um, I, I really always appreciate him for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, he was a guest on my show and I've got to meet him last year and he's a good dude. So, you know, uh, those who know about him, check out his YouTube show. It's really good. Uh, so what was the first podcast you were on? If that was number two. Sure. My first one was Schlock and Awe. Uh, we, uh, Lindsay and I, we did um, kind of a, a, Dece- a late December episode on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in North by Northwest. Uh, yeah, those are good movies, uh, as people know. Uh, it's funny, mo- a lot of my guests all have that in common of being on the, the same like shows that I've had people on. Like Schlockinov had Lindsay on my show, and Matt Bledsoe, you've done a lot of stuff with Film Feast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of last year, you did an episode of Film Feast with uh, Carmelita. And you guys talk about your film discoveries of 2023. Uh, and I was wondering how 2024 is coming along with discoveries. Has it been a good start of the year for those? I, I definitely uh, say it has. And, and first off, thank you for listening to that. Because um, that was that, that was one of my proudest pro- podcasting moments. It is honestly, Matt, lumping me in the same uh Looked me in the same virtual setting as Carmelita to get get the chance to rattle off our uh, first time, our favorite first time watches ever uh, of that season to each other. Because uh, I respect Carmelita a lot. Matt, of course, I highly respect him and his platform. So um, really happy uh, you and it seems like other people like that episode. But yeah, 2024 Discoveries. I mean, it's been, it's been really cool. Um, I've been kind of on a 90s indie cinema kick lately uh because one of my uh discoveries of last year that i oh that i shockingly like not shockingly it's it's a it's a good movie but uh that i loved as much as i did was uh party girl the daisy meyer film starring parker posey and i was like you know 
there's a lot of 90s indie movies. Like I, I went on a bender when I was in high school and early college. And then I just kind of went off and watched a, a bunch of <laughs> uh, the superhero movies that were coming out at the time. So I didn't watch as much older movies um, around that time in my life as I, as I am now, even though that's something I've consumed on and off throughout my movie going career. But I was like, you know, there's a lot of like 90s directors I don't know about. So I've been uh, getting into a few of those guys, particularly the indie dramedy directors and indie comedy directors. That stuff's really interesting. Um, I've been um, looking more into like uh, foreign uh, film directors that are influenced by a lot of my favorite old Hollywood directors. So I watched my first um, Rainer uh, Werner Fassbender movie uh, this past month and uh, The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant. Really loved that. Uh, that's very influenced by um, uh, 50s melodrama filmmaking. Um, it, it's just been a blast. Uh, I've, I've discovered some really, really cool movies. I was uh, really getting into movies a lot in the 90s. I was obviously, I grew up in the 80s, so I watched a lot of movies that way. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, there's a lot of movies that you have watched from that time, that 90s indie time period that I missed because I was just not quite like I was getting into like Kevin Smith and Tarantino movies. Uh, but there was a lot of those indie filmmakers that I just didn't get a chance to see whether it's because they weren't playing locally or whatnot. So it's, it's cool to see you kind of going back to that time period and see some of those indie directors that I missed. And it's inspiring me to want to kind of go back in that area and kind of watch some of the ones that I've read about and, and I heard about, but never got a chance to see. Um, so I, that's why I like about those particular episodes because it's very inspiring in terms of what direction you kind of want to go in, which is why I think it's, while I, I really like the episodes that focus on one movie, I'm a really big fan of the ones that are like topic and then it kind of weaves in and out and you kind of figure out different movies and you hear about new stuff. That was one of the reasons why I really liked that episode. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And yeah, no, I, I really like episodes like that too. Like I like chats like these, especially because to me, these take me back to growing up in the video stores that I did where um, I would just have conversations with, uh, with the, the store workers about, you know, movies and they would ask me what I was into. Um, and, and, and that's how I found some of my favorite movies, if not just some really cool, fun stuff that I've put people onto over the years. So that's really cool. And speaking of the 80s, uh, Larry, you'll be delighted to know that I've kind of gone back and and uh, like uh, definitely in the past couple years, I've watched way more 80s genre than I was. Um, like uh, I, I love 80s movies. I love all decades of, of film, especially 30s through the 90s. That's kind of my safety zone. But um, there's just so many like, for example, like uh, Joe Tom, John, yeah. Joe Dante's The Burbs. Uh, Dante is someone that I like a lot, but I somehow had never saw The Burbs before. And popped on Netflix uh, one day, and uh, or watched it from there, and uh, just had a rip-roaring great time. Amazing dark comedy. Um, definitely one of the best 80s comedies I've, I've ever seen, quite frankly. Uh, so that was, and it was cool to hear from uh, like uh, our buddy Andy Gorham, uh, I DM'd him and I was like, hey, dude, The Burbs is awesome. He was like, dude, that's like one of my favorites. So, yeah, just stuff like that. There is a re little resurgence of that movie. It's actually playing by me in March. And I was thinking of going to see it on the big screen. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And uh, it's it's funny, too, because like, it did really well in, in theaters back in 89. But I feel like it's one of those that people kind of forgot about. And it's nice to see like a movie like that that's from a really good director that people don't really talk about as much and realize that's actually one of his best movies. You know, it's a, that's that's a, a cool thing about how we're at now is you can recommend a movie and you can actually find it pretty easily. <laughs> which is nice. Yeah, I, I think kids growing up now, um, like teenagers and stuff, because when I was a teenager, it was way harder to find certain movies. I, I remember... There was at a point where um, my, my, my mother would take me to the video store uh, a couple times a month. Like that would be kind of our thing to do in the mall. I grew up in a very small Texas town. So not a lot to do besides uh, either hunt, go outdoors or watch movies. And 
for the most part, chose the latter. <laughs> and um, um, a lot of our interests are, are in classic film and cult film. And so we would have to like literally call in special orders. And a lot of these were blind buys that my mom and I were doing. Uh, like a big part of my allowance would go to those. Um, and our collection built up so much. Um, uh, by the, but before I was a senior, I was like, Hey, like, uh, I'm not going to take these to college with me, uh, for the most part, but you know, um, you know, do with that as you will. Like I can, I can stay away from these movies for a while and, you know, do other college boy stuff, but yeah, no, we would, uh, it, it was harder to find things on physical back then. And it was before the boutique label boom, um, uh, which I, I feel like that boom, like Kino was around in the 2010s. Like I had heard about them from uh, movie review shows and stuff like that. But I feel like now that we have like these other labels, uh, Discovery's taken on a whole new life that's made it both easier and also for me a little more overwhelming because it's like, okay, what hole do I want to jump into? Because I mean, it's just impossible to see every movie uh, but uh, ever made. But I'm just a curious I'm curious, George, with that stuff. I was just recently purchased a uh, little box set, and it was just two discs of Hammer Horror movies, and it's a bunch I haven't actually seen before. And what you were just saying there about Discovery, I'd like to see more kind of box sets filled with movies that um, that you might not discover or may not want to buy like separately, but if you buy them in like a bundle... I like to see, mm. and I think that's, I'm starting to see that a little bit more, uh, Vinegar Syndrome, they do like uh, Forgotten Jolly box sets, and there's like four movies I've never heard of that you can buy for a pretty good price and watch them. So I like I like to, to see more of that kind of be the, the future of some of these boutique labels, kind of these box sets. I feel like that's where it's kind of headed. Like, I, I've seen the most highbrow, I guess the more highbrow labels do stuff like that. Cause with, with hammer, like that's actually speaking of, um, that's actually how as a kid I saw, um, most, if not all of the Christopher Lee Dracula movies was, uh, my mother grew up, um, she was born in the fifties. And so, um, a big point of reference for horror for her was Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. And, um, my older brothers, uh, much older than me. So um, Star Wars was big in our household, but it was really formative for him, especially. Um, and so seeing Cushing in that, it got us all to watch um, like House of Dracula, um, Dracula's Risen for the Grave, uh, <laughs> even AD 72, which is goofy, but I, I have a love for. But um, yeah, uh, it, was a, it was in a box set that my mom would purchase. And uh, um, I feel like, a lot of labels now they 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 do more uh box sets and stuff which is cool for me because when i go to the library and rent stuff a lot of times i'll just be like oh there's this jane mansfield dvd box set y'all have to rent and i can get it for like literally for free uh for a few days let me check and so i checked out some jane mansfield movies i had never seen last month and that was really cool to go through you know so yeah box sets are really great for film fans who um much like us two it sounds like we're both very uh investigative to say the least yeah for sure because that's you know how you discover movies and it was easy growing up in the 80s because you'd have cable and you just it would just happen to have a a movie on and you just watch the movie they would it was kind of cool because it kind of chose it for you in some ways which is a a good thing because sometimes you don't know that this is the movie you want to see on this particular day (laughs) so sometimes it's sort of just like its own little movie watch guide i suppose uh so let me ask you a question um let's talk about your mom for a second because it sounds like she's really influential for you as as a movie fan and you know as just somebody to look up to but it's like movies always a big part of her life like what does she tell you about movies or is that something that came later because you showed interest yes so it's funny you ask you asked me that question in that framework because it's kind of a bit of both. So for her growing up as a as a she says as a kid, and I think <laughs> I think she looks at kids very differently than we do, uh, just because again, born in the 50s. So anyone who's uh 
under the age of 30, she calls a kid. <laughs> so there's that. But um, when, when she was growing up, um, her, her family was weirdly enough, like, um, like in Houston, Texas, um, like uh, it was a neighborhood of um, predominantly black and most of the neighborhood was, was pretty well off. And so by that point in the fifties, most of the households had uh, TVs. And so um, at that point, you know, like they would do like little, um, this is, this is literally things that she's told me uh, stories that she's told me is like uh, doing like uh, they would do like reruns and stuff of like Ben-Hur and like uh, the 10 commandments, those big epics that were competing with TV in the theater. She would see those on TV. And that's what, that was kind of some of the earliest movies that got her to realize, Oh, film can do these things that, a small TV show can't do, you know, it's not just cowboys on saloons. Like you can have like big chariot races and sweeping costume designs and stuff like that. So I would say a lot of the movies that she was into at those ages, uh, had a lot of guns, a lot of pageantry, a lot of over the top romance. She loved that kind of stuff. She gravitated to like a lot of the darker kind of female, uh, actresses, especially, um, when she got older, like, uh, she's really into Betty Davis, Joan Crawford. She, uh, was kind of the first person to tell me about that feud. So I had that in my head whenever she showed me their movies. Um, and, uh, she was always, uh, into Stanwyck and Catherine Hepburn, um, and, and women who like really embodied those darker aspects that a lot of the lighter stuff that, you would expect, you know, young women to love at that time just just wasn't wasn't as abundant. In. So uh, I would say that was happening. But at the same time, in the 70s, when she got in her like late teens, early 20s, there were a couple of repertory theaters um, that showed black exploitation, And these were things that she had never seen before. In fact, um, a former boyfriend of hers actually took her to the theater to go see Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. And the thing about my mother is that her and I agree on virtually most things, except she has a very strong aversion to sex and ultraviolence. She can handle violence, but ultraviolence. So that movie, for the time at that age, it got her to break up the guy pretty fast. It was, it was a lot like, uh, <laughs> it was a lot like Bickle and Sybil Shepherd in, uh, in Taxi Driver. It was that whole, you know, it, it wasn't quite porn, but for her... I can imagine that was. <laughs> yeah. And that was like the considered like the first black exploitation film that kind of started everything, if I recall. So yeah. To see that in theaters, I mean to, to look back, that's that's pretty incredible. I tell her that, and it's 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 funny that uh, uh she laughs about it and goes, Yeah, but my dad, uh her her my grandfather, her father, uh uh, hated hated those movies because of the depictions of race that were going on because again they grew up in this kind of like I liken it to like the neighborhood that are you familiar with Devil in a Blue Dress by chance the Carl the yeah the I actually Kingsdale just watched movie? it last year I nice. just watched it for the first time which is a fantastic movie it 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 is it's one of my faves and um, I liken it to that neighborhood because. Again, like part of the reason why everyone keeps coming into Denzel's house and terrorizing him is because for a guy of that time, a black man of that time to have his own house, his own things going on, his own moves, um, it's a rarity. And that's the environment my mother grew up in. And so to have <laughs> to have your daughter be attracted to these crime films and uh, and stuff like that, like my grandfather, his favorite film was uh, The Godfather. Um, when, when that came out. Uh, so he was, he, my mom would always have a tug of war of like, this is the type of thing that you should be watching. And she would, you know, be rebellious and that kind of thing. I don't, I don't think she'd like me saying that, but it, it, it's, it's literally, you know, uh, it, it reflects in the exploitation and stuff like that, that I kind it's, of fell into. It's funny to, to, for him to say that, considering that scene in the toll booth when James <laughs> Conn gets a bajillion bullets in put into him and it's all just real violent and stuff i thought that i think that's kind of interesting and i wonder i wonder uh how i don't know whether they know like like 
I don't even know where I'm going with that. It's just interesting that uh, that violence would be okay versus maybe a, a, the violence of maybe a black exploitation movie. But it sounds like it's more of like an environmental sort of response than content, if that makes any, any sense. Oh, I, I think you're totally on something, Larry. Um, I definitely feel like it's a... Uh, hmm it's an easy listening versus rock and roll debate. If you get what I, if you get my drift, like it's, it's one of those things where this is classy, this one Oscars versus, you know, cheapy. Uh, the, the people who are behind the camera are literally slaving hours on this thing because they don't have a Robert Evans financing their film uh, to make movies that are in the same genre, but they're not going to be as, fine or or have classically trained actors like this 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 compliment to it so i totally agree with that one of the things we do talk about a lot now uh is representation in cinema and to see representation in the 70s being a lot of the black exploitation movies if you're not sort if you're from talking about with your grandfather where he kind of was than the more like an affluent type of neighborhood. I could kind of see how he might, you know, think like, oh, this is might be painting us in a, a bad light. Uh, did your mom feel that way about these movies too? Or did she have like a different perspective on the depiction of of them in, in black exploitation films? Hmm. It's it's funny you say that because whenever I've asked her about that, she's she she always said this, that particularly with whenever Pam Greer came on the scene, and I believe she actually had the pleasure of meeting Pam Greer at an, at an airport um, one time, because uh, she saw, I know she saw coffee, she either saw coffee or Fox Brown in the theater, I don't know if she saw both, but she definitely saw one of those. <clears throat> and Pam Greer was such a revelation for her and compared to the innate misogyny of movies prior up to that point, it was like Pam Greer was like, even though these were revenge movies, they involved a lot of nudity, uh, assault in, in a lot of cases. Um, for the time, she saw that as feminist, really. Um, and I, I think it, it's a matter of the time that she was in and the comparisons that you could that you could draw at the time. Like obviously now in the era of like, you know, like uh like Maverick and movies like that where you see strong female leads. Um of course like Kill Bill, which is a riff on that era of of, of filmmaking. Um I believe as a straight, you know, uh, heteronormative male that uh you do see more of those depictions, especially in that genre. Um not as much as we still we still have work that needs to be done, obviously. But that was always my mother's explanation was after Pam Greer, it was like she saw more things change, like Sarah Connor and um, Ellen Ripley and people like that. They started to be a little more abundant. And when did you uh, when did you grow up? What uh, decade was your first decade that you were alive? Uh, to put uh, it as late, awkwardly as possible. What were you 90s. born? Late 90s? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I was in college when you were born. <laughs> the amount of times I've been on podcasts where, like, <laughs> uh, I think it was, I think I was actually talking with Matt Bledsoe one time um, about the 2003 Hulk movie, which I haven't seen since I was a kid. But I saw in theaters in 2003, and he was like, Preston, how old were you? And I think I was like seven or something. He and he just goes, oh. <laughs> right? But you said you have an older brother. Or do you have more than one or just one older brother? Uh, just him. And uh, how much older is he than you? <laughs> oh, 14 older. years. Okay, so did he like movies also? He did. He very much did. He His high school years were the 90s so i saw the matrix for example partially because of him and uh it was 
like this is just one example but like uh like i'd say 2003 ish or whatever when the sequels were coming out and uh the animatrix and stuff like that like that was his thing in addition to star wars and of course uh i would raid his closet because <laughs> he had like the blade movies he had face off on dvd um he had like an early dvd of the seven samurai uh as well and once upon a time in the west so um, I think I, I talked about this on Schlock and Awe, actually, uh, but like, um, it was actually his closet that introduced me to um, those darker westerns and kind of those bloody uh, R-rated action movies and stuff like that. Yeah, he was through my mother. I think him and I both inherited that love, but his thing was more like books. He went to college for art, so like he was always painting. He had like a big watercolor uh, uh, collection and kept sketchbooks and stuff like that. Um, and and I mean, once I could, you know, once I did chores and I could do things around the neighborhood for, for other people that earned me money, I just spent it all on movies pretty much. And, and that's uh, that's kind of been my thing. So early, let's say early 2000s is when you probably were getting old enough to start buying movies and things like that uh they didn't that was more like the tail end of the video store so were you just mostly just going to like best buy to buy movies or did you have a video store that you would go to both uh we had we had a we had a hastings in downtown uh downtown of my hometown and then we uh we had best buy target walmart uh now it's it's making me sad because literally I, since I didn't grow up in the blockbuster era, well, let me put it this way: like we had a blockbuster, but I think I was a little too young for that. Um, like I, I, I discovered movies more in like Best Buy, like those five dollar bins and stuff like that, um, uh, Walmart, things of that nature. Um, I want to say uh, it was, I think it was Best Buy. Like they had a copy of. Literally, and this would never happen now, uh, just with everything that's happened with, with them, that store, that store company. But <clears throat> they had a DVD of Touch of Evil. And this was when, speaking of early 2000s, um, and I was already, I'd already heard stories of Orson Welles and watched a couple of his movies with my mom. Uh, Third Man is in my top five films of all time, actually. And I took a chance on buying that DVD and my mom was like, oh, that movie terrified me as a kid. And uh, this dark noir where um, uh, um, there's these, these racial relations and stuff like that. That's all she told me about it. And so bought it. It was like 20 bucks. Um, had no money after that. But I loved I loved it when I watched it at home. I, I, and, and that's been one of my favorites ever since. And um, that was that was definitely Wells was definitely an essential part of me getting into noir movies and, and, and stuff of, of that time period. Um, but yeah, just crazy finds like that and Target and things like that. Like if, if I had heard from my family members or friends that I was going to school with, hey, Preston, like there's this movie you watched at home that's like crazy. And, and it was not rated R pretty much because I grew up, my household was still fairly uh, puritanical, let me put it that way. Um, yeah, the, I would I would get my hands on it for sure. Do you remember the first R-rated movie you saw? It was definitely The Matrix. Okay, definitely. That that's actually a pretty good. I mean, the movie's good, but I'm just saying, like, if you know, R-rated movies weren't something that they really wanted you to watch too much. At least that one is pretty tame compared to. You know, <laughs> it could have been like, oh, we're gonna watch Reanimator or something, you know. <laughs> Dead alive, yeah. But this one is at yeah. least, you know, it got some really cool martial arts and uh, a very unique world. I think really pretty much all the only thing that movie's got going for it to make it rated R essentially is some language, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Maybe that weird top-down shot of him laying naked. I mean, that's about as bad as it gets, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, did you, um, were you allowed to go to the movie theaters too? Or did you have to go with your brother to see movies? until you're old enough to kind of decide like what was your movie theater experience like my brother took me to a lot of movies um this is gonna sound like 
insane that that this is a thing but like just hear me out so um in 2004 i'll never forget this so um i had never seen a harry potter movie in the theater like i i had my uh at home we had like the first couple on dvd or whatever because uh, my brother uh, was a big fan of the books and um the movies that we didn't see in theaters that were big blockbusters we ended up just my mom ended up just getting for uh, uh, for uh, them for us at home and stuff like that. So, uh, like Spider Man, I never saw in the theater. I saw I I saw that at home on DVD and loved it. You know, from from that point forward. But um, yeah, so in two thousand four, my brother was like, "Hey, do you want to go see the new Harry Potter movie?" And I was like, "Sure." Like I I had liked the first two and, and watched them a lot. Like at the time, it was like, "Oh, these are the best things I ever seen." Because I was like seven or eight or whatever. So I was like, sure. And so that was the year Prisoner of Azkaban came out when Alfonso Cuaron stepped into the franchise. And uh, that just blew both of our minds. But the real kicker for me was later that day, we went out to eat and he was like, hey, uh, we're not done yet, by the way. I'm, I, and this is where he really earned Big Brother points. So he took me to go see Spider-Man 2 like a few hours later. And the sincerity of that film the mix of practical and visual effects the fact that it was like the fact that so much of the movie was a spider-man movie that where the lead didn't want to be the hero like he was dealing with like real world problems and it was a new york movie and there was this grit to it that i wasn't used to seeing from big budget movies um, and the reward that is the third act of that film. I mean, that that capped off a really amazing double feature for uh, for for Little Preston. Um, so it was things like that that kept me going back to the theater. Like, and once my taste started to like evolve a little bit, I'd say around like 2009, 2010, and stuff like that. Like, uh, I was. I would, uh, I would, I would, you know, take my, I start taking myself to go see like, uh, like uh, the social network um, movies like that. Uh, Black Swan, I saw in the theater, Aronofsky. Um, and uh, that was when I was in high school and I was really, I was getting really exploratory and I was knee deep in my Tarantino phase and, and, and uh, Shane Black phase and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I would say around that time I was getting into like, weirder movies and stuff like that so yeah how were you discovering a lot of this stuff in in high school did you uh have friends who were also into movies was it like an internet thing like what what did you what were your ways to discover new cinema growing up yeah um actually it was it was more the internet uh to be honest um with a little bit of of, of tv because uh i grew up watching ebert roper uh, I really wish I had uh, gone back at that time and watched more Siskel and Ebert. I, I want to say, I, don't, I can't remember when YouTube really blew up, but um, thanks to YouTube, I've watched way more Siskel and Ebert. But back then, uh, my mother talked about Ebert a lot, so <clears throat> we would watch Ebert and Roper together. So a lot of the new, like, I guess new for the era, family movies and stuff like that, that's how she got recommendations would be like, oh, Ebert gave it two thumbs up, you know, let's go see Ratatouille or whatever. And we, we, you know, we, we loved that in theater and stuff like that. But um, the internet really, because uh, it was the ain't it cool era. Uh, and uh, there's this website uh, that I would go to like spill.com. Uh, I would, I would, I would consume movie reviews from them, especially because they had little cartoon videos to go along with them. I had never quite seen that before. Um, and I learned a lot about like 80s and 90s genre from them. And that kind of helped me, I feel like, keep to like, how can I put this? Um, not go too snobby like some movie fans can get, like go too esoteric. Um, I'm not saying I don't like a lot of like artsy, you know, uh, more heady stuff. That's definitely, I definitely like a lot of stuff that can be labeled as, uh, as uh, as pinky up, but um, I always loved like uh, 
Schwarzenegger movies, Stallone movies and stuff like that. I always loved like um, the big blockbuster stuff. Again, like what they call cape shit online now. I was growing up in the genesis of that. So they, they, I feel like those sources honored those things and that and and that's what made me realize hey like genre movies tend to have the longest shelf life of, of anything um and so I, I that's my interests were really knee deep in that stuff in high school one of the things that i don't really talk too much on my shows uh, but it's something that that's interesting is the like the invention of the internet for a movie fan really has evolved to where it is now obviously so when i was growing up in the early 90s my my dad who's always into like computer stuff he was always like in the forefront and he like taught me how to type early on so like when i got to school and there was typing classes like i was acing that stuff because i knew i knew how to type and so when the internet became uh a reality it was things like prodigy and aol which was like you, you buy it, or you would just get a bunch of free and just recreate new email accounts, and you go on, and it was just this proprietary software, and there was different like spots in Prodigy and AOL you could go to, and obviously I went to the movie stuff, and that's mm-hmm. where you started like meeting other people, and you know at the time it's still pretty new, so you don't really know how it's it's working, and you look back at it now, I'm just like. You know, you don't really know who these people are or anything. But, like, you know, I would do, like, tape trading and stuff. And that's how I got to see a lot of Hong Kong movies and things, by just going onto the mm-hmm. internet. But there's, like, no YouTube then. So now, when you're growing up, you actually, the internet is starting to get, like, YouTube and these these sites of movie people and the, and the comments. You know, it's just it's the the how much easier it is to, to find out all these movies especially now with streaming and whatnot. Um, So it sounds like the internet was the thing that was really easy for you to kind of discover a lot of these movies. Yeah. Like uh, there were online catalogs of, of like must see movies and stuff like that. Like I I remember time magazine actually in 2005, uh, it was a big deal back then, but they came out with like an all time 100 great movies list and I remember my mom and I saw this list together. It was They published it online. I think it's actually still available. And obviously more movies have come out since 2005. But um, they had like very interesting choices in addition to like the Citizen Kane's, the 400 Blows and stuff like that. Like I, I think they had like Hitchcock's Notorious, which at the time was more of an underrated Hitch film, uh, but has now uh, become more uh, uh, esteemed. Rightfully so. It's one of my favorites of his. Um, I'm trying to think what else was on there. They had some, they had, I think they had Repo Men on the list, um, as well as like some other 80s, like kind of culty stuff that I had never heard of at the time. Um, and again, it was like the diversity of taste that showed me there's more to movies than just what you read about in a textbook. Like, I wanted to go out and experience these movements and learn more about them. And um, I think what really helped me to, <laughs> oh goodness, Larry, I'm sharing so much today. Um, I would write movie reviews for uh, my Facebook page. Like I would put them on there. And then a lot of my friends would go to me uh, uh, <laughs> and be like, hey, Preston, what'd you think about uh, that, you know, that Star Trek movie that's out? And I was like, oh, I have this, I started this this Tumblr, this uh, this this little Tumblr feed that it, I made an archive page for it and everything. I was such a nerd. Um, in fact, uh, yeah, I named it the Kobayashi Review, uh, um, like Kobayashi Maru, like uh, like in Wrath of Khan. Like I, like I said, it's little, little goofy pun stuff. But um, and I had a pretty good. It wasn't like the like the teen movies where like the movie nerd is like the social awkward guy. Like I had a pretty good little little uh conclave of friends in my community uh, being in a small town it was like your weirdness eventually becomes just another eccentricity so um and, and all my friends and i were were, were 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 pretty pretty out there uh but anyways so um it caught the attention of like our uh our high school yearbook editor 
who basically uh, sent me, you know, like a, a couple of movies to write about. I wrote about uh, the Emma Stone movie, Easy A. It, it was like, a I don't know how I did this, but it was like 800 words about how great uh, that, that film was. And he was like, okay, like, let's bring this guy in. And I guess he didn't know like what to expect, but he sees this like, I don't know, like this, like this, this chubby kid who's wearing a RoboCop t-shirt and he's like, Hey, uh, did you get lost? Not, you know, like uh, I can show you to your classroom. And he's like, Oh no, I'm, I'm Preston. I'm Preston Mitchell. He goes, Oh, you wrote the, uh, the easy a and the social network reviews. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, he and I really started a bond. Um, he actually, was essential in, in putting me on like a lot of seventies movies. That was something that seventies uh, dramas. So not just exploitation, but like a lot of like, like he and I both share a love of Rocky. So uh, we bonded over that and he got me to watch a lot of sports movies. Like uh, Slapshot was one of his favorites. Uh, so <laughs> for example, so I watched a lot of that stuff through him and uh, uh, cause he, he wanted to be a filmmaker for a long time and, and, just went a different route and um he he took like a couple of Scorsese classes when uh he was um in his 20s so um I have that love of Scorsese kind of sort of through him um and it was one of those like dead post society things where um he kind of nurtured my love of writing that I've always kind of kept in a sense um and uh, I've taken that on as, as a, I'm not, I don't write about movies as a career, but that is what I do. Uh, writing is what I do as a day job in addition to other skill sets. So um, yeah, uh, I would say mentorship and online definitely, definitely forged the Preston that you see today. Do you still talk to him? Are you still friends? Not so much anymore. Uh, there's a there's a lot of people, a lot of teachers from my high school that unfortunately they've either passed on or they've just moved to other states and whatnot. Uh, he and I kind of lost touch, um, not on purpose. Like I, I still think about him quite a bit. Um, he uh, he has a beautiful family. I, I pop in on his Instagram uh, occasionally, but it's one of those things where you know, like there's I think there's that respect between us. Um, sure. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I have all the love to him. He's uh, he, he, he was an amazing teacher to me. There was a teacher I had in high school who taught uh, Spanish and I wish I could remember her name, but I remember that we had to do a presentation on something Mexican culture. I think it was. And she knew that I like movies and she's like, have you seen El Mariachi? And I was like, no, I have not seen El Mariachi, but I was I was able to get a copy and I did a whole presentation on it because that movie blew me away. You know, because there's this movie that he made for like a dollar and it looks a lot more expensive. There's like action and stuff in it. And that yeah. would be that would have been like my first, you know, film from Mexico, even though he's more of a Texas guy. Um, but like it is it's pretty amazing like how for for some of us, like it's just like, you know, you You'd never expect uh, a recommendation from some people, but then it ends up being like a, a major part of like who you are. I thought, so, you know, school is to be very, uh, very important for us movie geeks. Oh, it's, it's, it's super important. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, um, he, he taught me a lot about like, uh, he introduced me to journalism movies because he used to teach these movies in his class and, he would be like, Preston, you're not going to like all the president's men. All my students fall asleep. And I was like, dude, I am, I am such a slut for dialogue. <laughs> for lack of a better phrase. So, um, uh, yeah, that, that's actually why that movie, uh, is one of my all time faves. I saw it back then. And with the whole, going back to the Rocky connection, I mean, that's a 19, those are both 1976 movies. And he would like, quiz me on movie years and stuff and, and i'd be like oh this also came out from 76 and he'd be like yeah you need to see some of these uh classic films so uh yeah i checked out uh network at that time and and stuff like that and um a, a few of the other movies from that year and uh yeah i mean he just 
uh, and he, he really kind of got me more into like dramatic films and stuff like that. Um, he was really into, into like dialogue type movies and, and whatnot. Um, um, yeah. And, and a big movie between both of us that came out at the time was Moneyball because, uh, saw that in the theater with my best friend and, uh, uh, my teacher was a big Aaron Sorkin uh, fan because he he's from the the West Wing time like and stuff like that when that was a huge show. So uh, uh, we would often quote you know uh, <laughs> for for the for the next couple of years we would often quote like what's not romantic about baseball and stuff like that even though like I really don't care for baseball but I happen to love that movie but yeah. <laughs> Did you want to get into film? When you decided, when high school was over, did you want to do anything in that? Or did you just kind of take a different path and just use movies as something you like doing, uh, you know, on, as like a hobby? Yeah, I think this is a common story with us movie uh, movie fanatics. But I, I, growing up, I always wanted to make movies. I never... Directing was was kind of one of those things where it was like, ah, you know, maybe I can do that, maybe not, you know, kind of thing. But I was always writing little scripts or little stories. Uh, my mother still uh, uh, talks a lot about like how I just go through notebooks like your typical kid goes through toys. I was always scribbling. I was always writing ideas of stuff. Um, uh, uh, in fact, there was a big part of like my middle school years where I toyed for years about either writing like a Western or a superhero kind of story. A part of me still wants to kind of do that someday. Why not? Why but, not both? Do a superhero Western? Well, I would, but Jonah Hex exists. Someone's got to do it better, or is that the best they'll ever get? I don't know. No, no. So someone's <laughs> someone's gonna gonna do it better for sure. Um, but. <laughs> Oh goodness, <laughs> um, um, you know it's funny. My my former teacher he told me he asked me one day. He was like, Preston, what do you want to do with your with your life? At, you know, to make a living. And I said, I want to make movies. I want to be a filmmaker. And he was like, Have you ever considered being a writer? Like, have you just ever considered that? And I was like, Well, I. I I like writing, but I, I I feel like I would I would I would I'm I'm best served in like movie production and stuff like that. And he was like, "Well, I've seen you do video projects with your friends here and there and stuff like that, but you really you're really good at this analysis st stuff." And I'm not someone who just like likes uh, the sound of their own voice or like likes people to like needs people to praise me all the time and stuff like that. So to hear him, but to hear him say that uh, the writing that I was doing, he he saw a future of that in me. It was very analogous to what my mom always said, which is, you know, I know you're, I know you, you're not, you don't care to be like a doctor or a lawyer, but like if you if you at least do anything, make sure that you communicate, that you're in a in a, in a function where you're able to put words to paper always. She always saw that in me from the moment I was uh, speaking pretty much. Um, and when I was in I went to college for film. Um, and I remember being in my first film class and two things stuck, stuck out to me where the first thing was that the kids I was going to school with, they were actual people who made the movies, but whenever they would show us like Kane or Double Indemnity or uh, Singing in the Rain, they showed us all these movies in class, movies that I had already seen by that point. Uh, Cause I'm awesome. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm no, kidding. You're so modest. That's what I like about you most is just your modesty. <laughs> no, but um, I saw that a lot of these people, they were like, whenever we had conversations after the fact, like the, Four out of every five students, it seemed like they were like, oh, that movie's slow or that movie's dull or things of that nature. Some of the most revered and, to me, some of the most complex and interesting movies ever made, uh, of the Hollywood era at least. And um, 
and I discovered quite a bit of, of great films from that class as well. But the other piece of that coin is that I was like, anytime we're talking about movie production and the technical aspects, I found myself not as interested. I was like, huh, this class isn't what I thought it would be. And I took another one uh, the following semester that wasn't, that was even less engaging to me. But whenever it, it came to showing movies, talking about them, stuff like that, I was always into it. Confounded by the harsh realities that the types of movies that I would even want to make are just hard to finance. And I, I, I didn't, and it was a soul crushing gradual realization to come to that. Um, uh, and that the, the people in my class, what they, what they wanted to make was Blumhouse movies or Marvel movies. Like that was where the interests were. And so I feel like the dream kind of died a little bit as sad as it sounds. I don't want to be pessimistic uh, on your podcast too much, Larry, but I immediately was like, I feel like I could be doing so much more with my, with my, my God-given skills. So I switched majors. I ended up taking way more writing classes, way more English classes than I ever had before. Um, and I still keep in touch with a, a few people in, in those media, um, in media academia, but, and I have nothing but respect. If anything, I have more respect for filmmakers who go out of their way to express their voice, put their stamp on something, whether it be a studio film or, or, or an indie production, because when we really got down to talking about the technicalities of these movies and stuff like that, and maybe I, I phrased it poorly uh, a few minutes ago, but it's not that I wasn't interested. It was the fact that it wasn't part of the fantasy that I had built up in my head, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and part of my cinephilia throughout the rest of my, because now I'm in my late 20s, it's been, it's been wrestling with that a little bit, to be honest, of like, well, a part of me, a small part of me still, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in storytelling. Um, I still read books. I still, you know, I still have friends from college that, um, every so often they'll pass their, their, their scripts to me and I'll doctor them a little bit or tell them what I think. And it, it, it's something I, 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 I've flirted with for a long time, but who knows, uh, who knows what, what life is like, you know? Well, you're, you're happy with the stuff you're doing now though. I, I assume like with the writing that you're doing now. Oh, for sure. For sure. Being able to, being able to to be uh, to have a liberal arts uh, education and and being able to make a living uh, has been uh, uh, has been a blessing. It really has. But um, yeah, yeah, I have I have no regrets about the route I took, and especially it is cool to kind of sit back and watch as boutique labels continue to bloom and uh, uh, getting more involved on film Twitter these past couple of years and meeting a gentleman like yourself discovering movies through you guys as well as in other ways alongside that has been um to me the an even cooler experience than it would be trying to trying to make a movie right now uh in this in this creative era so yeah i i think for me it's a win-win but it definitely gives me perspective would you want to sure. would you want to write uh, an essay for a boutique label release? I would actually, I really would. Um, I've, I've, uh, I've made friends with people who have connections to a couple of labels. Uh, I'm not going to name names or, or what those labels are, but, um, not as a way to, uh, circumvent their their prestige or their power or something like that but uh just so i know what it's like to be a blogger on that level uh and it's it's bizarre to me to pop in some of these movies and uh, uh hear audio essays of, of of these people that i'm that i'm organically meeting on twitter and stuff like that it's, it's really cool but it's also like wow like i look i thought i looked up to i do look up to my former uh yearbook teacher but uh these people that i'm 
I feel like I've, I've been reading for, for the last 10 years. It's really cool to, to know them a little bit as people, which is dope. Do you have a spot online that you dabble with running reviews still, or is that just something you do like on Letterboxd for, for fun? Like, is there a spot the, online you can go to read your stuff besides Letterboxd? For the most part, Letterboxd. Um, I've, I've actually uh, toyed with starting a WordPress or something like that because I, I don't, I don't have quite frankly, and I actually posed this question a little bit on Twitter that I took a tweet down of like, hey, if I were to start a Patreon or a Substack or something like that, which of these would you prefer? And then a bunch of my followers, um, um, I think I think the top choice actually ended up being Substack um, of, of the, there was like four that I mentioned, but um, at, at the moment, no, I do in the future, when whenever my movie watching slows down a bit, and I start to like, cause I'm, I'm getting to a point to where like, I want to refocus more time analyzing my personal favorite films and movies that I go to quite a bit, comfort movies and stuff like that. So I, I, I've, I've flirted with the idea of doing deep dives on certain movies, particularly screwball comedies. Uh, those are a big interest of mine from like the thirties and forties <clears throat> Westerns, uh, which I, which I mentioned previously, uh, old detective movies, certain movies of those different genres that um, I have a little of a deeper knowledge on that I could bring to light to people nuances that they didn't see before. So I'm, I'm, I'd say before this year is over, um, I, I want to get like a WordPress or something like that up and running, uh, just because Letterboxd is, I love it. It's awesome. But um, but it, it's it's not what people use, or I think should use for really long form reviews. So uh, yeah, I want to I want to get off uh, reliance on social media and actually you know build a blog. So well, if you do decide that, I'm sure a lot of people would be very excited for it. I know I would be. I'd read all of your stuff, you know, just because I think you're very. Um... Like you're very good at at uh, expressing a reason why something is good or something's important and whatnot, uh, which is why I enjoy listening to you on other shows. So, you know, if you do do something like that, I'll, I will definitely be telling people to go go read it and whatnot. So I'm encouraging you to do it. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very kind of you, Larry. I appreciate that. Um, thank you. So. Before we go, I have to ask you the question I love asking all my guests now is you must have a movie or two that you own. How do you organize your physical media? So unlike a lot of people that we know, my collection is actually not that big. Um, it was a lot bigger. Um, I'd say 10 years ago, um, when I was living with my my family, it was it was our our, our movies were kind of combined and even separately because I eventually did take my uh, movie collection to college with me. Um, I've downsized quite a bit since then, so it's it's a little it's a little more easy to in recent years to alphabetize. But I that's my way of doing it. Um, like the rows are like it's a so like for example, I'm looking at it right now. If it's like a collection. Like I have my James Bond set that goes all the way up uh, to Spectre. Um, and then uh, my copy of uh, the follow-up, I have that sitting right next to it. Um, and then I own a lot of uh, Criterions. And so I keep those on the bottom. Uh, and then the box sets that fit, like they don't really fit with like the normal Blu-rays, quote unquote. <laughs> uh like uh like i have the swimmer it's not like a like a box set of multiple movies but i own a copy of uh a burt lancaster movie called the swimmer it's like a thicker blu-ray i have that scene next to um kind of my my criterion box sets and stuff like that and then the kinos and war archives i have mixed into all the other non-boutique labels so but i, I try to alphabetize as much as as i can but if something's part of a a series or something, I do I do make exceptions on those. So when you have your criterion shelf, you're going by alphabet of you know, whatever is the first 
letter. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Not the first, we all know A is the first letter, but you're going A to Z <laughs> is the, how you decide to do it. Um, do you find that hard when a movie has a sequel that's sort of not the same as the other one? Like, as long as it's together with the, the same movie, it's okay. Ooh. It doesn't bother you when it's just sort of off. Yeah, because, like, I mean, my Guardians of the Galaxy uh, uh, collection, like, it's, it's, I keep that with the G's and, like, the Captain Americas that I own, I, I keep those with the C's. So that's just one example. Um, like, because, like, to me, they're, they're part of the, of, uh, the same studio, obviously, same franchise, but uh, they're so completely different in my brain that I'm fine leaving those separately. Um. Yeah, but it 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 it's it's it definitely gets a, a little difficult when you start adding stuff to the shelf, and it's like, oh man, this big thick thing doesn't quite fit on this shelf, uh, this compartment as much as I would like to. But uh, it also means uh, I've got to get a new shelf at some point. <laughs> I think a problem I hear a lot of uh, my friends say is, and you mentioned it just a minute ago, you have a bond set and you buy the bond box set, and it's got the whole thing. But you know they're going to make more. Like, how do you mm -hmm. determine I'm going to buy the box set now, or I'm going to wait because I I need them all to fit in that box? Like, do you do you struggle with that sort of thing, or do you just go, you know what, I'm I'm buying it now, and when they come, I'll just throw it next to it, and it's fine. Um, I think that's a great question. So I research the fuck out of um anything I, I like choose to make a conscious buy on sometimes I will do instant buys and blind buys. I'm not above those. And, and, and quite a few of my favorite movies have come from blind buys, not too many because I do try to rely on, I try to rely on the public library as much as possible. I, I think libraries need support. And for the most part, they're pretty good about uh, uh, keeping HD versions of movies in pretty good, in good condition. So I like supporting them before I rent stuff off of voodoo or something like that but um youtube channels like films at home uh websites like blu-ray.com and high def digest which also has a channel um and i think they even have a tiktok as well but um yeah i i i do a lot of research before i double dip on something and i'd say if a blu-ray this sounds so weird larry uh I guess my weirdest collecting habit is because I like a lot of old movies, like movies that are before the seventies. For example, one of my all time favorite movies is anatomy of a murder. I don't know why I loved it so much as a kid. <laughs> Cause it's just, it's a two and a half hour. It's basically the Oppenheimer of 1959. Yeah. It's literally <laughs> uh, a long movie of a bunch of talking, but I think it's so awesome. Uh, but um uh, and I, I, I've had the Criterion Blu-ray for a while, or I had the Criterion Blu-ray for a while, but um, uh, when I was, I, I've started using eBay a lot more in the past year um, because I like, I tend to like their deals more than Amazon's and other sites. And uh, they have, they had a 4K of Anatomy for, uh, uh, of a Murder that you can only usually get if you get like those like Columbia 100, um, hundred years of us type of sets, which are cost like $300 to get. And I was like, you know, I'll spend the 20 bucks and get this 4k. And, uh, I popped it on, uh, uh, pretty recently and, and it looks immaculate. Like it, 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 it really does. And you get the DVD in it too, which is something that I like about stuff like that versus, um, my only complaint with Kino is when they do a lot of these remasters, um, of old movies in 4k or, or, or they upscale them. They, they just have the disc and not the Blu-ray disc. And that kind of, for some reason that weirds me out because <laughs> if I'm taking these movies to go show them to my mom, whenever I'm, I'm visiting my hometown, I want to have the, the Blu-ray there to, to, to have her watch it too. And you're going to have to get a case to put your 4k player in like they do with the PlayStation, you know, like a little carrying case, you know, that's what you're... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, and that's a hassle that I don't like going through, so I actually keep, uh, in my, my kitchen compartment, I keep, like, extra 4K cases that are double, that are empty double disc, I keep extra Blu-ray cases, because Blu-ray cases do, do break people, um, they, they do, that's a thing that people don't talk about, 
So um, I'd say those are my two weird collecting habits is if it's an, if it's an old ass movie <laughs> that I love that where it's clear that there's in this era of like 2k and 4k um, uh, if it's a movie I really care about up, upscaling, then I'll, I'll double dip for that. Um, but if it's like a series or something like that, that I'm into, I mean, uh, you know, they'll put out, I mean, every year they put out evil dead box sets, like some <laughs> label gets the rights to do that. Like it's, it's, it's going to be that thing. So uh, the big franchises that I'm into, I'm not super uh, worried about um, if my set's going to be outdated or not. All right, Preston, that is a, an interesting look at your, uh, your movies you're buying i i noticed that my local video store the archive they're starting to sell empty cases that people can get they're like oh hey guys we just got a whole bunch of ones that say 4k on them like the 4k ones mm -hmm. i'm like why would anybody need that now we know apparently they break or you want to have both movies together see so i i learned something today Preston. so i appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of learning, uh, those who want to seek you out and check out uh, anything that you put out in the world, whether it's writing or audio, where can people find you on the internet? Sure. Um, find me on Twitter at uh, P-R-E-S-T-O-M-I-T. Uh, um, I love connecting with film fans there, um, especially you know great guys like Larry. Um, uh, really appreciate you for putting me on on. Um, on this platform and then also find me on letterboxd at p-r-e-s-t-o underscore m-i-t-c-h uh, i'm always plugging away at uh exhaustive and exhausting movie reviews um and uh I, I love connecting with people on on that platform as well and uh find me on um any of the podcasts that larry mentioned yeah absolutely um so preston thank you for doing my show uh i really enjoy getting to hear your your background your story and your and about your mom and your bro so uh, i'm glad that you decided to come on and hope uh, people enjoy it as much as i had recording thank you all right everybody thanks for listening and we hope you have a good day